from Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Welcome to the WIA National News Broadcast. This for week commencing August 16 and I'm Graham VK4, Baker Baker. The plan to have Australia's Casey Station in Antarctica on air last weekend, August 8 and 9, under the VI0 Anzac commemorative call sign, was stopped by a severe storm, but it has now been proposed for later this month. Doug VK0DMV described the storm having wind reaching 112 knots and a fair bit of damage was caused. He added, there's always some damage after that sort of blow, but this is the worst to date this year. So your WIA is pleased to announce that VI Zero Anzac is rescheduled for the weekend of August 29-30, weather permitting of course, and same times and frequencies, and they are on again this week's website. Meantime, in full swing now is Vietnam Veterans Day, commemorating the Battle of Long Tan with VI4 Anzac on air from Atherton in far north Queensland. Dale, VK4, DMC and other Vietnam vets are remembering that battle which took place in the rubber in Phuc Thuy province. In the RD opening address, Lieutenant Colonel Dean Limmer made special mention of Vietnam Vets Day. As the contest begins, let's also not forget that the 18th of August is Vietnam Veterans Day. Let's remember that there are men and women for whom this day brings a special sense of comradeship as they recall their former service. Also, August 16, Paul VK5PAS and the Adelaide Hills Amateur Radio Society team are using VI5 Anzac. This marks the formation of the 10th Battalion at the Morfittville Racecourse. On Friday, August 21, and for seven days, Gippsland Gate Radio Electronics Club at Cranbourne in Melbourne South East will be VK100 Anzac on phone, digital and CW. And there's plenty of interest in September. More about these and other events are listed in the ANZAC section of wia.org.au. Commemorating ANZAC 100, a series of articles have been appearing in Amateur Radio magazine. Among them, the recollections of air warning and coast watching in New Guinea by former Lieutenant George Basil Lance, VK3DS, the officer in charge at 23 Heavy Wireless Section at Indrapilly in Brisbane, about mid-42. It then joined the 18th Line of Communication Unit destined for New Guinea. Then, attached to the New Guinea Air Warning Wireless Company of Army and RAAF stations, they were well dispersed into the bush to avoid the regular bombing of Port Moresby. There were spotters originally from Milne Bay to Lay before the Kokoda track was cleared and Boona attacked. Talking at the Army and a control room worked on a roster basis 24-7, the actual radio sets and operators in the scrub connected by telephone to the control room. The original coast watches on the islands to the north of New Guinea were operated by the Navy, but they let the Army run this area. The control room was an exciting place, with most important messages received from spotters on the famous X frequency. Action messages were immediately phoned to fighter section, and almost at once, one could hear the aero engines start up and planes taking off. Another frequency was used for the food drops, fuel, battery charges and batteries in the so-called biscuit bombing flights. If a site was detected by the enemy, all gear was destroyed and the operator had to make his own way by walking back. As all amateurs associated with broadcasting this news and our special audio projects like Jota and RD opening speeches, Peter Ellis, VK1PE, compiled this year's RD opening event. 
The opening speech for the 2015 RD contest was given by Lieutenant Colonel Dean Limmer, Commanding Officer, Defence Force School of Signals, Simpsons Barracks, Victoria, and also ham radio operator VK3HWX. The Remembrance Day contest honours the Australian radio operators who served their country with distinction during World War II, but who failed to return home. While the Remembrance Day contest remembers those radio operators who served in the Second War, it is fitting that in the year of the centenary of ANZAC, remember those who served in the First War. This year, and over the next four years, a number of significant anniversaries will occur. On the 17th of July 2015, was the centenary of the completion of a pier at Gallipoli. You may inquire as to the relevance of this to radio. Well, the engineer responsible for the construction of that pier to enable stores to be brought to shore at Gallipoli was Lieutenant Stanley Watson, a signaller. Watson survived the war and went on to become the Deputy Commissioner of the South Australian Railways. Another famous Australian who also served as a signaller at Gallipoli as part of the 2nd Division Signals Company and subsequently later as a dispatch rider in France before he transferred to the Royal Flying Corps, was Sir Charles Kingsford Smith. In those days, Signals was a function of the Australian Corps of Engineers, where it remained until 1925. Another little-known fact is that Australia has the distinction of the first Signals unit of the British Empire. In 1869, the Torpedo and Signals section were formed in New South Wales and Victoria. While these were later disbanded in 1882, in 1885 a signalling corps was established in South Australia and existed until 1901. I am the uh, commanding officer of the Defence Force School of Signals, whose mission is to train and develop electronic warfare and information communications technology professionals to meet the electronic information warfare requirements of the Australian Defence Force. The Defence Force School of Signals has a staff of approximately 400 drawn from all three services, as well as the Australian Public Service and is supported by contracted staff. Oh, and if you did not receive notification about the broadcast coming up, maybe, just maybe, it's because you're no longer subscribed to WIA Broadcasters at yahoogroup.com. If you wish to be, send a blank email to wiabroadcasters-subscribe at yahoogroups.com.au and just put the word subscribe in the title or the subject field. Across Australia from VK1 WIA, you're tuned to the WIA National News Service. On the Sunshine Coast, it's relayed on 146.825 and 146.850 at 9am. I'm Gordon, VK4 VP. It can happen to anybody. You forget to renew your licence and it lapses. And when you ask the ACMA, they tell you that you'll need a WIA call sign recommendation first before you can make a new licence application. So how does this work? Although the ACMA sends licence renewal notices, that's not an obligation under the Radio Communications Act. The ACMA sends the notice as a courtesy. But if the renewal notice doesn't arrive for some reason, it's still your responsibility to renew on time. In fact, it's always the licensee's responsibility to ensure that a license is current. So check, do you know your license expiry date and are your address details correct? What about your call sign? Well, your call sign needs to be protected too if you're attached to it. An allocated call sign indicates that you hold a valid license, but if your license lapses and is not renewed, your call sign is released and will be put on the WIA public list 60 days after the lapse date. 
so it becomes available for reallocation. After seven days, the WIA will issue a call sign recommendation to whoever wants it, with ballot provisions applying to a two-letter call sign in some states. So the message is, if you don't want to fight to get your call back, keep your licence current. Full information about the process and the forms needed can be found on the WIA website. Search for All About Call Signs and New Licence or Expired Licence or Reclaiming a Former Call Sign. The WIA website is at www.wia.org.au and the search box is your friend. All WIA band plans have now been revised. As we heard last week when President Phil joined us, our Wireless Institute of Australia has completed revision of both the 2 metre and 70 centimetre band plans and the WIA board has expressed its appreciation for all the thoughtful input received. The results of this WIA consultative process that has resulted in the new band plans which are now on the website are to be included later in the 2016 callbook. WIA board to have a member plan. The board is developing a plan to retain and increase its membership. They'll immediately ring anybody who has not renewed to find out if there is a reason and for new foundation licence holders a free digital version of the WIA journal Amateur Radio Magazine will be sent along with an invitation to join. All applications for reciprocal licence recognitions are on hold while a review of them is underway. These are different from the visitor's licences which allow, under a fee-free class licence, all visiting radio amateurs on business or holiday trips some 90 days of free operation. The details of these can be found on wia.org.au. However, overseas radio amateur qualifications which can be recognised as translating into a VK licence are being reviewed. The WIA is expecting to see the changes to reciprocal licensing driven by changes to overseas standards of amateur licence levels and is now waiting for ACMA to issue its findings on the reciprocal licence review. ACMA licensing shutdown a reminder. The ACMA has suspended the processing of all apparatus licences from last Friday until September 1. This unavoidable shutdown means that for two weeks there will be no licences processed or licences renewed. That includes all ham radio station licences. Now although the shutdown has begun, the ACMA foreshadowed the move earlier this year that it would introduce the new, more efficient HELM system. Now an item in last week's broadcast on this ACMA licensing shutdown did contain an error. The information suggested the ACMA would not be renewing beacon or repeater licences below 52 megs after September 9. Director Roger Harrison, VK2ZR8, says, We have confirmed that this is not the case, and our apologies for the error. It's business as usual on 6. Keep calm and carry on. The spring solstice will be with us in short order, bringing with it some welcome trans-equatorial DX propagation for those lucky amateurs living in the northern half of the continent. The summer sporadic EDX season will return in due course. Indeed, it's likely to spice up the spring VHF-UHF field day, that weekend, November 14-15. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA amateur radio news service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. International news, I'm Jason, VK2LAW. NASA opens new CubeSat opportunities for low-cost space exploration. 
Space enthusiasts have an opportunity to contribute to NASA's exploration goals through the next round of the agency's CubeSat launch initiative. Applicants must submit their proposals electronically by November 24, 2015. The CubeSat launch initiative provides access to space for CubeSats developed by NASA centres, accredited educational institutions and non-profit organisations giving CubeSat developers access to a low-cost pathway to conduct research in the areas of science, exploration, technology development, education or operations consistent with NASA's strategic plan. NASA does not provide funding for the development of small satellites. Satellite frequency coordination For some years, the International Amateur Radio Union, IARU, has sought through its group of volunteer satellite coordinators to assign appropriate frequencies to be used by space satellites operating in the amateur bands. These efforts have generally been successful, allowing satellites to operate without undue interference to each other and to other services using the bands in question. The IARU role in coordination of frequencies is supported by ITU. IARU is aware of a few satellites already operating in amateur bands which are causing difficulties in parts of the world as the frequencies they use do not appear to accord to existing band plans. IARU has now become aware of plans to launch a series of satellites where the frequencies proposed appear to conflict with existing IARU band plans in some parts of the world. IARU is investigating how this has arisen and is discussing the issues with the parties involved. The latest IARU monitoring system newsletter reports on 7 MHz splatter from Radio France International and the seemingly endless story of Driftnet buoys on 28 MHz. The International Amateur Radio Union Monitoring System IARUMS Region 1 newsletter can be read at the link in this WIA News Text Edition. MP takes to the air. On Saturday, the 7th of August, members of the South Essex Amateur Radio Society commemorated the 71st anniversary of the downing of two B-17 bombers which crashed in 1944, just off Canvey Island. The special event station was operating just a few hundred feet from the crash site and the MP for Castle Point unveiled a mural depicting the event. She was then invited to send her first amateur radio guest message shortly followed by Canvey Island councillor Ray Howard. Sears team operated the special event call sign of Golf Bravo 2 Hotel Bravo on HF and VHF using a mix of voice, data, PSK31 and DMR from the Island Yacht Club throughout the day. Going back in time. Time may seem to stand still at least for a few moments at WWV the National Institute of Standards and Technologies HF radio station in Fort Collins, Colorado. The Time and Frequency Standard Station is celebrating the completion of its successful first year with a restored vertical dipole, one it had stopped making use of in 1977. Last year, the 25 MHz signal went back to transmitting at the antenna's original location for the first time on an experimental basis. The experiment, it seems, worked just fine. Matt Deutsch, N0RGT, WWV's lead engineer, told ARRL that when the 25 MHz broadcast returned last year, a broadband monopole was the antenna the station first used, but the monopole was eventually paired with the station's 2.5 MHz standby transmitter. 
That's when the decision was made to resurrect the older vertical dipole, which, he said, after restoration, now looks just as it looked in 1977. He said the vertical dipole has a lower angle of radiation than the broadband monopole did, and now has a transmitter of its own, radiating 2.5 kilowatts. The signal provides a way for radio operators to check their frequency calibration or determine the exact time of day and can also help with propagation conditions on both 10 and 12 metres. Now for a short coffee break and then back with operational news and Felix. In Sydney, I'm Jason, VK2LAW. There's nothing like sitting at the window with a nice hot cup of coffee and watching the world pass by. Now the astronauts on the International Space Station can do just that. Instant coffee has always been available on the ISS, but now for the first time, it can be enjoyed freshly brewed. Italian retailer Lavazza and Argotech, the provider of space food for European astronauts, have joined forces and created the Espresso, a device that overcomes the unique challenges of brewing coffee in space. Quoting here, Making coffee in space isn't easy, according to Argotech officials. This is the first capsule espresso machine that can work in the extreme conditions in space, where the principles that determine the fluid dynamic characteristic of liquids and mixtures are very different from those typically found on Earth, unquote. The microwave-sized box uses capsules similar to a Keurig machine to brew the caffeinated beverage as well as other hot drinks such as Cafe Lungo, tea, hot chocolate, and broth. And because no self-respecting coffee lover would ever drink their latte with a straw, a special plastic 3D-printed cup was designed to cope with the demands imposed by microgravity. So now, when you're sitting at your window with a hot cup of joe watching the world pass by, you can delight in the fact that maybe, somewhere way up in the sky, an astronaut is doing the exact same thing, except the view up there repeats every 90 minutes. Reporting from Shawnee, Oklahoma, hometown of original NASA Mercury 7 astronaut Gordon Gordo Cooper, I'm Mike Askins, KE5CXP for the Amateur Radio Newsline. From Australia, this is VK1WIA and the weekly WIA Amateur Radio News Service on RF, internet streaming and text at wia.org.au. Who and where are our broadcast stations? Check the WIA website and wise national news at wia.org.au with any alterations. That way you won't miss a thing, not even the operational news. And with that, I'm Felix VK4FUQ. Remembrance Day Contest this weekend, August 15-16. Alara YL Contest, Saturday 29th August, 0400 hours UTC to 13.59 hours UTC. Sunday 30th August, 0400 hours UTC to 13.59 hours UTC. Oceania DX Contest Voice, first full weekend in October. Oceania DX Contest, CW, second full weekend in October. 2016. Harry Angel, 80-minute sprint, WIA, Saturday 7th of May. 10-10 International Summer Contest, August 6 and 7. Special Event Stations, DX, Beacon, Repeater and Net Advice. Whatever floats your boat. There's serious action happening on the water for a group of UK hams. These amateurs also happen to be avid boaters, and they're preparing to catch a really big wave. 40 metres big, in this case. They're gathering for an event. Known as British Inland Waterways on the Air, taking place August 29 to 31st a bank holiday weekend in Britain. Boating rate amateurs plan to use these days as an opportunity to connect with each other boaters around the country and around the globe. The primary band will be 40 metres, but communications will not be restricted to just one band if conditions permit. 
The Birmingham's hoping for what else? Smooth sailing. S79 DPX operating from the Seychelles. This is IZ2DPX who will be there until August 23. He is using a multiband vertical and is active on SSB. The longest reign. On the 9th of September the Queen will become the longest reigning monarch, beating that of Queen Victoria. To that end the Medway Amateur Receiving and Transmitting Society MARTS from Kent will be running a special event station GB2QLR for the Queen's longest reign to commemorate the event starting Wednesday the 9th of September, the day she attained the position for seven days, until midnight the following Tuesday. The station will be powered by solar panels during daylight hours and using an FTDX3000 and an FT857D for all HF 2 meters and 70 centimeters, using SSB and data. Awards. Enigma Award. The Polish Radio Amateur Union would like to remind you that on August the 14th, Enigma Awards Special Event Station started transmitting. With the end of July, a Special Event Station SN0MR, who in two months made 3,500 QSOs using different modes and bands, this Enigma Award has been prepared to commemorate Marian Rajewski, extraordinary mathematician and cryptologist. It is associated with his 110th anniversary of his birth and the 35th anniversary of his death. Marian Rajewski changed the course of events during World War II. Several special coils will be used during this event that will operate on all bands from 80 metres to 10 metres, including the WARC bands. For QSOs with SN0 cipher, SN0CIPHER station, the operator will receive a cryptogram, which has to be decoded. This station will give a new cryptogram for each QSO on a new band or a new mode. QSOs at other special event stations will receive the decryption data necessary to decode the cryptogram. The best operators, nine of them, and the best SWLs, three of them, will each receive a reward, free of any charge including the shipping of the reward. A statuette made of crystal with enigma engraved in it and the operator's call sign. The very best three operators will in addition receive a book about Marianne Rajewski's life. They are counting on active participation of radio amateurs from all over the world. Therefore they ask all to intensify their activity on the air and participation. 14 to the 30th of August, make sure your beams are facing SP. For VK1WIA National News, I'm Felix VK4FUQ Enningham. The 5th Annual ATV QSO Party is scheduled for Friday the 21st and Saturday the 22nd of August, Eastern Australian Time. This event is sponsored by Amateur Radio Victoria and the Melbourne ATV Group. The first event was a part of the celebration of 100 years of Amateur Radio Victoria. The convener of this event is Peter, VK3BFG, and it will be centred around the Melbourne Digital ATV Repeater, VK3RTV. Skype has been used as a conduit between remote stations and repeaters, but this year VK3RTV will stream with high quality through the worldwide facilities of YouTube. The link to view this high-quality version will be on the WIA website. This facility will will enable interstate and international anchors to relay VK3RTV with very high quality. Of course, this output can also be viewed by amateurs and the general public anywhere in the world. The YouTube relay will take place by courtesy of Ralph, VK3 Lima Lima. The event will start on Friday night, Eastern Australian Time, round about 8pm, with connections to repeaters VK2RFM and VK2RTV in Sydney, 
with anchor Gary VK2CRJ. Then on to VK4RMG in Brisbane with anchor Peter VK4EA. 5RDC in Port Pirie with anchor David 5DMC. And VK3RBO in Bendigo with anchor Ross VK3CE. It is expected that some remote stations will Skype into Peter VK3BFG. The Skype name for the ATV QSO party is DATV QSO party. That's DATV QSO party in lowercase. And remote stations should send a request to the Skype name for inclusion in its address book. Peter VK3BFG will act as net control and ask participants to make their transmissions. All inbound Skype calls, including those from interstate and international repeaters, will be transmitted to VK3RTV, the output of which will be sent to the British Amateur TV Club streamer and now the high-quality version on YouTube. Most amateurs will transmit to their local ATV repeater, thus maximising the use of amateur radio. Saturday morning, morning Eastern Australian time will see a connection to the DATV repeater WR8ATV in Columbus, Ohio in the USA. The local anchor will be Art W8RMC who was a part of the team that developed the DVBS exciter called the DATV Express. Later in the morning the QSO party moves to California where Don KE6BXT will anchor the W6ATN repeater network in Southern California. Saturday night we'll see action through the home county's repeater GB3HV in the UK and perhaps some individual stations. Any stations wishing to participate can contact Peter, VK3BFG, at pcossins at bigpond.com. That's P-C-O-S-S-I-N-S at bigpond.com. Make a diary date to view or participate in this exciting event. And don't forget the high-quality VK3 RTV, RTV feed available on the WI website, courtesy of Ralph of VK3 Lima Lima. Thanks, Peter. Sounds like a really well-planned weekend is approaching. Continuing on with special interest group news and from ATV, we move to CW. I'm Robert, VK3DN. Hacklet 69 Morse Code Projects. Hacker Day, a site popular with hackers, engineers and engineering enthusiasts, features projects that revolve around one of the oldest digital signalling systems, Morse Code. Read about the Morse projects at the link in this week's text edition, best read at wia.org.au. Worldwide Special Interest Group's Final Frontier. Flight of the Living Dead. Is there life after death? Well, when it comes to the U.S. Navy's PCSAT No. 44, a satellite launched 14 years ago by the U.S. military, the answer is most definitely yes. The PCSAT spacecraft, due to an onboard power system issue, started to transmit APRS on 144.390 MHz. Although this is the correct frequency for APRS in IARU Region 2, it is not compatible with Region 1 band plan which has this part of the band designated for weak signal and particularly meteor scatter operation. As the onboard batteries have lost their ability to hold a charge, the problem can only occur when it's in sunlight. 
As we heard from Jason, VK2LAW, in the international news segment this week, the IARU satellite coordinator has been requested to make urgent contact with the teams responsible for XW2CAS3 mission of nine satellites from China. Some of the proposed frequencies do not respect the internationally agreed Region 1 band plan for two metres. Worldwide Special Interest Group's ILLW as hams around the world are operating the International Lighthouse and Lightship Weekend, which is on right now, August the 15th and 16th, one shining beacon in Sweden is glowing with the light of a little extra pride. It's a lightship fin granite, a museum ship in Stockholm that had been built in 1903 and was in service until its decommissioning in 1969. It became the 400th participant to register for this weekend's global event. SK0QO plans to put the former marine navigation aid on the air for the two-day event as 7S0SFJ. Now with the hams using the ship to sail their signals across the ionosphere, the club is hoping that the lightship Fingranet will really go the distance in connecting them into some memorable QSOs this weekend. Well, that's it. That's all I've got for you. This has been Robert, VK3DN, reporting from Melbourne. Hey, we've done it again. We have reached the end of the WIA National News Service, this edition for week commencing Sunday, August the 16th. Now, until next we meet, I'm Graham, VK4, Baker Baker. Walk softly. From Australia, this has been VK1WIA and the weekly WIA Amateur Radio News Service. On RF, we thank our rebroadcast team and you for listening. And remember, internet streaming and text of this news is available 24-7 at wia.org.au.